Okay, let me explain. No, let me sum up. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 303, the big 303. You know, I wonder if when we hit... (laughs) episode 404 if i'm just gonna skip it i'm just gonna go from 403 <laughs> to 405 we now should you just have to release an episode that's only 30 seconds long and it's just nothing but silence <laughs> it's just nothing but I'm, silence i'm gonna yeah. have to put notes in about this now we're gonna have to what right uh at was it 26 episodes yeah only another four years we're gonna remember this joke all right so uh yeah after th- the joke that will be funny in four years Hello, welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 300. I gotta, I gotta do it all over again to hit my rhythm. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. Uh, this is episode 303. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prillum, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And I am also joined... I, got, I gotta figure out a, a better intro. Marco Sanchez! <laughs> hello! Like, I realized I started to go into the whole spiel again, and I was just like, no, that's too long. <laughs> But I haven't figured out what to say yet. Hello, welcome back. Yes. I'm back. Yes. We're here. And uh this is this is our, our hurricane edition. Uh as for, we have... for, for for two thirds of us. Yeah. Well mm-hmm. well really only one third because I'm too far inland. Da, 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 da. Other side of the state, friend. Yep, yep, yep. Ah. Uh, Alright. So yes, so uh this is our Wilds of Eldrain. Hurricane Party podcast, and so we're going to be going over all the new mechanics and some of the new cards, ones that we thought <laughs> were interesting rules-wise. So, uh, first off, as an introduction, um, these type of episodes tend to be our more popular ones, which is one of the reasons why we do them. But uh, Charles, do you want to? Do you have any insights to share as to why we do these? The bottom line is is that there are a whole bunch of new cards that are going to be coming to your local game stores in the next few days, or actually maybe they've already arrived by the time you're listening to this, and players are going to have questions. They're going to ask, you know, what's this new mechanic? How does this work? Uh, why do we have food in the set again? And what we're going to do is we're going to attempt to answer some of those questions for you before you even get them so that you have the knowledge that you need when you're running your pre-release events and, and the other things that are going to happen after that. It so is that's, a little that's, frustrating. That's why we do it. It is a little frustrating that we try so hard to encourage players to keep their food off the table, and then yes. Wizards prints a set with food in it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, at least they're not putting bubblegum in packs. More on that some other day. Hey! I think that was subtly your way of telling me, don't launch into a story, Grandpa! No, no, no. So. That's actually there's there's this whole conversation where some people believe that one of the new secret layer sets will have an actual bu- stick of bubble gum in it. Oh, and there is um, some legal and and other uh, hoops that have to be jumped through in able for something like that to happen. More than anybody ever realizes. And Tayback came on his Twitter today to emphasize that. Basically, um, put a big womp womp on the whole concept. Okay. No need to get the FDA involved. Yes. But but you know, uh, what is or what can be in packs of Wilds of Eldraine are the Enchanting Tales cards with the wonderful set code of what? <laughs> wow. 
what? What? As opposed to whoa. <laughs> or just like, whoa. What? What is this in my pack? What? Yeah, so uh, you're going to open some packs and they are going to have uh, an enchanted tale. Now, those of you who played in uh, uh, Strixhaven, if you remember the uh, the special set that of uh, the sorceries and instants that they had, well, they're running it back only this time with enchantments. Um, it is basically uh, an excuse to reprint all of last year's judge foils into the dirt. Um, <laughs> wow. So, you know, th- th- thanks. Hot uh, take. Yeah. But so you open up packs and one of the cards is going to be an enchanted tale. Could be a rare, could be a common, whatever. And you are allowed to play those in your sealed event, in your limited in your limited event, uh, if you open one or draft one. Uh, however, for standard, they are not necessarily legal unless it's uh, what's 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 the wording for it? It's like they ain't legal unless they legal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Unless they're already there in the first place, this then it's just a fun alt art one because right. you know we don't have enough of those. Right. Right. Yeah. There's so much shade in this show. It is. So it's in a pack. <laughs> it's in a pack, and you can play it only if you could already play it, despite right. it being in packs of new cards that you couldn't already play, but are legal now that you open them in a pack. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna speak very confidently for a moment, but it may need to be edited out. Um I just want everybody to know that they're also giving you gifts at pre-release. The gifts this time are in the form of promo cards. One of them is Goblin Rabblemaster. I forget what the rest are because they don't matter. Just Goblin Rabblemaster does. Send me all of them. Uh, But when you open that, whether it's in your uh, kit or whether it is handed out to you, that's not something you're allowed to play with at your pre-release events. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so was that comment about needing to edit out Sirius? It's just... I. I'm 99.9% certain I have it right. I just want to double check and I'll check later and verify. Okay. All right. Well, I'm leaving this whole thing in if it turns out to Excellent. be fine. Excellent podcast pros. Going to be one of those episodes. Strap in, everybody. It, it is. It is. All right. Well. <laughs> it's the Hurricane Edition. Yes. Yeah. Wilds of Eldraine. Like original Innistrad, only, you know, it's it's like... Basically, they destroyed Innistrad and made it, like, really weird. So they got to go back to, like, fairy tale spooky stuff. So welcome to Eldraine. Fixed Innistrad. <laughs> That's the role it fills. It sounds like a good role. Speaking. Yeah. As a wrestling fan, I'm just going to scream out, know your role, and let's talk about some new mechanics. You're not going to call anybody so, a jabroni? I mean, yes, but only when they've earned it. Okay. Fair. <laughs> So let's talk about rolls. Now, rolls are a new mechanic in this set, and rolls are very specific in that they're kind of like all these other mechanics that have created what are called predefined tokens. These predefined tokens, actually, there are going to be seven of them in the overarching uh, Wilds of Eldraine set. So more than Six doubling. of them are going to appear more than doubling, yes. Yes. More than doubling the amount of predefined tokens that are in existence right now. Uh, these are going to be six that appear in the main set, and one is going to appear in a commander deck. So that one, you're not going to really have to worry about, but just be aware if somebody says about a weird seventh one, that's probably what they mean. 
And these roles are flavorfully lining up to kind of storytelling. Like you have a particular role in this fairy tale that we're telling here. Are you cursed? Are you a young hero? Are you a royal or something else entirely? Uh, we're not going to read through all of these because overall they're very similar. They're either going to give you some kind of a buff except for the cursed one that just turns you into a 1-1. One -one. But these tokens are actually represented by tokens that will come in packs that will actually have two of these rolls printed on it. And if you look at it, it actually looks really similar to these older Kamigawa flip enchantments where you see, if you turn the card up one way, you'll see a roll at the top, a description, type line, everything you normally expect to see. But if you turn it 180 degrees upside down, you'll see a different one. So you get two rolls per token card. You can use them as you want to, just like any other tokens. You don't have to, it just keeps track of everything much easier. And as judges, I, or as a judge, I really like to see a clean and tidy game state. So if you have them, use them. So let's talk about these important aspects to this mechanic. First of all, cards are going to instruct you to create a specific role token and have it attached to a creature. Now, important notes about these, these roles are colorless enchantment tokens. However, any effects that create a role token may target and those effects will often have a color. So let's look at, in the release notes, the example of Spellbook Vendor. One on a white, creature human peasant, 2-2 two, two with vigilance. And it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may pay one generic mana. When you do, create a sorcerer roll token attached to target creature you control. Now, this is going to be a white source targeting a creature that you control. Now, these new rolls are going to have the roll enchantment subtype. And they do have the enchant creature ability because they are aura enchantments, even if they are tokens. If the creature that you are enchanting stops being a creature, like, for example, if you crewed up a vehicle and then put a roll on that vehicle, at the end of the turn, that vehicle is going to stop being a creature and that enchant creature aura will just fall off as a state-based action. Now, like a lot of things in this set, there's actually some very specific rules for rolls in that in this instance, you can only have one roll from a specific player. And in fact, I'm going to read the reminder text that's on Spellbook Vendor that we were just referring to. Here it says in the reminder text in italics, if you control another roll on it, put that one into the graveyard. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and it basically describes the roll there. But there it tells you that you can only have one roll on a creature Per player. So in this instance, if I enchant one of my creatures with a roll and then I go and target it with another roll, the first one that was on there is going to go into the graveyard as a state-based action. Now, in the instance that multiple rolls have the same timestamp, such as you're playing commander and you have a doubling season on the battlefield, the player will actually choose which one of those to keep and which to put into the graveyard. But on top of that, the reason we're talking timestamps here in general is if you have more than one role attached, specifically the rule states that you have to keep the one with the most recent timestamp. So it's not like you can choose which one of these roles you want to keep on that creature. In fact, the rule is the one with the most recent timestamp is the one that stays on. Any other ones that have a previous timestamp go into the graveyard. I know I said that a little out of order, but 
I think that'll work. And if you need to cut it around, feel free. Now, a creature or a permanent can have multiple roles attached to it as long as each role is controlled by a different player. So the way I like to shortcut it in my mind is if you think of each player as a storyteller, you can only assign one role per character. But if somebody else is assigning a role to your uh, creature, then that's fine. It can have multiple roles, just not multiple roles from the same player. You might be the hero in your story, but you're the villain in someone else's. <laughs> exactly. Now, some abilities that create roles or role tokens do require targets. And if the target becomes an illegal target as the ability tries to resolve, it won't resolve. And therefore, the role token just won't be created at all. The role creation is actually part of the ability that's trying to resolve. And also, in the rare occasion that a permanent can't be enchanted by the role, like let's say I give the permanent protection from enchantments or from colorless, then the token isn't even created. So no constellation triggers for you. And as we wrap up this, let's talk a little bit about Hexproof and Shroud and how they work with this because it might be a little unintuitive, uh, especially when you're first playing with these at your pre-releases this weekend. So Hexproof and Shroud actually won't prevent a role from attaching to a permanent. Just like any time you're instructed to put an enchantment aura on the battlefield attached to a creature, the aura isn't targeting the creature that you're going to attach it to. So if the ability creating the role doesn't target, you can actually enchant a Hexproof or Shroud creature. Now often the card that creates the role token will actually define what it means, so you just have to have a way to refer back to it. Otherwise, you have to have a token card or just remember. Again, it's typically going to be written out in that reminder text, so all of that should be there. But that is the very, I want to say long and short, but that wasn't really short of roles. Now you know your role. All right. That was a lot of talking. Ew. I I hate this mechanic. <laughs> you you hate role or you hate the next one? Uh, no, no. I hate I hate I hate that there are seven new predefined tokens now to keep track of. Like if if yeah, that's a lot. If they had added just one or maybe two, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. But there there are some serious memory conditions unfortunately it looks like the reminder text on these cards you know tell you what the sorcerer role does or what the you know what the wicked role does so you have a card presumably that you can refer to to figure out what it does but it it's just it's it's a lot that people are going to have to constantly because i don't think you're going to be able to just from like at a glance be able to like look over and tell that something's got the monster role versus the royal role you know uh i will say i like that the tokens for it do actually have distinct little art next to them to make it somewhat easier to recognize like the wicked one you can see looks kind of like it's a, a frog with a lightning yeah, bolt over it the 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 negative the negative thing though is they put the top or they put the right side up text on the wrong part of the card because enchantments always go under the bottom of the creature, and this, yeah. in order to read, you got to put it on top. But, anyway. but I guess it makes it easy to not lose it in a stack of auras when you're playing Voltron Commander. I don't know. It's it's an it's an interesting mechanic that I'm really intrigued to try out. I I think they went a little hard with in a, in a direction that leads to memory issues. You know, they, they tried to fix it, but ultimately I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze. But, Dormarcos, I've come to bargain. 
<laughs> I'm using that from now on. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so there is a new mechanic in the set uh, called Bargain. And it is basically a mechanic that replicates the feeling when you are at Walmart and they have $3 uh, DVDs and Blu-rays in this big cardboard bin. And it's really just... Nine copies of Steven Seagal's Under Siege. No. Hey, that was a good movie. <laughs> right? Oh, what a deep cut. What a deep cut, right? <laughs> Not really. You don't have to dig very deep to find... No, uh, you don't. Or overboard with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. But anyway... Over the top, come yes. on. Oh, right. <laughs> so, um, Bargain is a ability that is on various cards... That basically means uh, as you cast this spell, it adds the additional cost of you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token. Like those pesky roll tokens that you can't remember what they do, you can sacrifice them. Um, Yeah, so you pay this uh, uh, as an additional cost as you go through the steps of casting the spell. And if you uh, pay the bargain uh, cost, the spell is considered bargain. So let's give an example. Uh, Torch the Tower. Uh, for a single red, is an, it is an instant with bargain. Again, when you're casting it, you can sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast the spell. Torch the Tower deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If this spell was bargained, instead... Ooh, we have a self-replacement effect. If this spell was bargained, instead it deals three damage to that permanent and you scry one. If a permanent dealt damage by Torch the Tower would die this turn, exile it instead. All right, so a few things. One, you can only sacrifice one object to pay the bargain cost. You don't get to say, like, well, if I sacrifice three artifacts, do I get to deal nine damage to something and scry three? No, no none of that. Get out of here with that nonsense. Um, so uh, if the spell uh, is on the stack, so let's talk, let's talk about copying this because this is... You know, judge cast. So I have bargained my torch the tower and I copy it. Well, this was an additional cost that was paid, and the copy is also considered bargained. Okay. Uh, if that spell becomes a permanent, um, the bargain spell, you know, becomes a permanent, it'll do whatever the bargained permanent would do. Okay. However, and this is a little bit different, if you copy a bargained permanent that's already on the battlefield. Okay, so if you copy a bargained spell and that spell becomes a permanent, that permanent, whatever the text on it that says, like, you know, X happens if it's bargained, you get that. But if I have a permanent that is post-bargained, okay, that's sitting on the battlefield, and I go to copy it, I clone it, it's not going to... That copy is is never a spell in the stack that was, was bargained. It's not going to... You're not going to get the bargained effect. Okay. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. Yeah. Okay. So in this set, some instants and sorceries require additional targets if they're bargained. Okay. You would ignore these targeting requirements if you didn't bargain the spell, and you can't bargain these spells unless you can choose all the required targets. So I'll give it. I'll give an example. So bra- brave the wilds. Okay. For a single green, this is a sorcery with bargain. If this spell was bargained. Target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with haste until end of turn. And then search your library uh, for a basic land card reveal it put in the hand. Okay, 
if you don't bargain this, if you don't bargain this card, Brave of the Wild, you don't have to target a land. If you do bargain it, then you have to target a land. And if that land gets removed for whatever reason, uh, the spell is going to get countered. Oops. Hmm. So just keep that in mind. We understand it? You got through it. Yay! Time to celebrate. That is indeed how I celebrate. Celebrate good times. Come on. I'm not a singer. I don't pretend to be. Well, sometimes I do. Celebrate raging battle mouse armored mice. (laughs) <laughs> so, so so as my as my as my wonderful co-hosts are trying to tell me uh we have another new mechanic and that is celebrate uh it's not a an actual um uh, uh you know standard mechanic it's a uh ability word so it doesn't have any inherent meaning attached to it um or inherent rules text attached to it there's a lot of different things it can do uh, but it tends to link to a common theme, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, what we have here, we have two cards that are examples of celebration. We have Raging Battle Mouse, which for one in a red is a 2-1 creature mouse. It says the second spell you cast each turn costs one less to cast, which is nice. Nice little ability there. And it has celebration at the beginning of combat on your turn. If two or more non-land permanents entered the battlefield under your control this turn, Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Uh, The other example I have here of celebration is the creature Armory Mice, which for one and a white is a 3-1 creature mouse. And it has celebration. Armory Mice gets zero, plus zero, plus two, as long as two or more non-land permanents entered the battlefield under your control this turn. Are we catching the theme there? That, That two or more thing going on? So... Uh, oh, I thought the theme was mice. It, it, it well, it um, yeah, I guess it is too. Dun, 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 um, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and and very aggressive <laughs> mice, by the way. You know, these aren't your yeah. these aren't your little door mice. These are these are warrior mice from uh oh, what's the series? Red Redwall Redwall. Yes, these are Redwall warrior mice. Anyway, um, some are triggered abilities, and some instances of celebration are static effects. The triggered celebration activities. Uh, trigger at a certain part of the turn whereas the static effects turn on when they become true Uh, an important point about celebration is it does not scale so if you have a situation where you have three or more non-land permanents or four or more non-land permanents or even 20 uh, it's all the same so long as you're meeting the minimum threshold which is two or more non-land permanents Celebration abilities also don't care if the permanents that enabled celebration are still on the battlefield if you met the celebration condition, you're celebrating until the end of your turn. Party. Yeah. It's like uh, you celebrate until the end of the hurricane. Yes. In fact, there are things such as hurricane celebrations. Um, you know, knock yourselves out. Whatever makes you happy. Florida, you do you. <laughs> Florida's just full of fun adventures. Yeah. As I'm learning. <laughs> but speaking of... We have everyone's favorite returning mechanic, Adventure. Adventure is back. It was the shining mechanic that ruined Standard from Throne of Eldraine, and they're making their triumphant return here in the wilds. So a lot of this should hopefully be familiar to everybody, but we are still going to review this because, well, this is JudgeCast, and there's a lot of fun, wonky things about Adventurer cards. So Adventurer cards are permanent cards 
with a set of alternative characteristics in a small little storybook frame on the left of the text box. Now what makes adventurer cards different from any other normal magic cards is that adventurer cards have an adventure, which is a subtype of instants and sorceries, in that alternative characteristic. You can cast the card as its adventure, and then as the spell resolves, the card will go to exile instead of into your graveyard and is quote unquote on an adventure. You can then cast the permanent side of the card from exile as you normally would, including of course taking into account any timing restrictions for that spell, can't cast a creature unless the stack is empty, unless it has flash, all that good stuff. Now in this set, the unique thing is we're going to see some adventures with different colors than the main permanent spell. And when it comes to that, the color identity is still going to be both colors, but on the stack they're going to have the color of whichever spell you're casting, the adventure or the permanent. So let's go over some reminders about adventures. First of all, they're going to be a permanent card in every zone except the stack. Now our example for this is Questing Druid. Questing Druid is one and a green for a creature human druid, 1-1. One, one. That says whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, put a plus one plus one counter on Questing Druid. And then if we look at the adventure on the left, the adventure is called Seek the Beast. For one and a red, it's an instant adventure that says exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step you may play those cards. So for this instance, if Questing Druid is in your graveyard, you can't bring it back to your hand by trying to return an instant card from your graveyard to your hand using, for example, Tenacious Tome Seeker's triggered ability. Which, let me find Tenacious Tome Seeker. Just has it. Yeah. Oh, just return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Now, when it's on the stack, it of course cares about whether you're casting the adventure part or the permanent part. We've already alluded to that. And while it's on the stack, it only has the characteristics of the part that you did actually cast. Seek the Beast is red, not red and green. And it's also not a creature spell, so it can't be countered with an essence scatter, for example. Additionally, things that let you cast spells let you cast the portions of the card that you wouldn't normally be able to. So one example is a card we're going to cover a little more in depth later on, but that's uh, Johan, Apprentice Sorcerer, which says, once each turn, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from the top of your library. In this case, you would be able to cast Seek the Beast if it's the top card of your library. An adventure spell is exiled instead of being put into its owner's graveyard. As long as it's exiled, the player that controlled it when they exiled it can cast it as a permanent. If the adventure card ends up in exile through some other way, you don't have express permission to cast it as that permanent unless something else is giving you that permission. Remember earlier I said that it was quote-unquote on an adventure? Well, that status of being on an adventure is what lets you cast it from exile. And... If a copy of an adventure spell gets cast, it goes poof once it gets exiled because it's a copy, it's not an actual card, it goes into exile and state-based actions make it disappear. If an effect refers to a card, spell, or permanent that has an adventure, it refers to any card that has those alternative characteristics, even if they're not being used at the moment. And it also won't find a card that is currently on the stack being cast as an adventure because again, the only characteristics it has is of the spell that you're casting. Each card with an adventure has two different names, 
the names of the permanent card, and the name of the adventure spell. Either name is the name of a spell that can be chosen for any effects that instruct you to choose a card name, like Pithing Needle. And finally, while adventure cards have alternative characteristics, casting the adventure is not casting a spell for an alternative cost. So you may find that you can cast an adventure for an alternative cost, no problem. And that's adventures in a nutshell. All right. Speaking I'm, of I'm, nutshells. Yep, I'm doing the next two. Sure. <laughs> All right. So first up, food mechanics back. Yay. Okay, creature. Yum, yum. Yeah, creature lands. Okay. No, it's... Uh, they. So they have some uh, creatures that... Uh, some artifact creatures that are also food. Uh, so like food golems. Um, it's a food... And it does all the things that a food can do. And it's a creature. It does all the things that a creature can do. Bop, bop. Uh, the only thing to keep in mind is uh, if it is a food creature, you might not be able to tap and sack it to gain life that turn because uh, it does not have haste, most likely. There are probably some foods with haste. Mm, you know, Ginger brute is back. Hasty is. food. All right. Okay. And the reason why I wanted to do creature lands is because I looked actually looked up what a bivouac is. Um, all right, so there's creature lands are back. There's a cycle of lands that can turn themselves into creatures. They do enter the battlefield tapped, which helps answer the question, as we said, when these things become creatures, they don't have haste, so they probably aren't going to be able to attack. Um, also, if you turn them into creatures right away, then they can't tap for mana, but they couldn't tap anyway because they entered the battlefield tapped. But up bop These creatures... Uh, like Restless Cottage or Restless Bivouac, which Bivouac is a temporary camp without tents or cover, um, which is, yeah, which is, if you look at the art, those tents have covers. That, that's a flavor, like, like, (laughs) it's part of the definition of the thing that, anywho, anywho, I'll give you an example, Restful Bivouac is a land, enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it for a red or a white, and you can spend one red and a white. Restless, it's not even a bivouac. It's a restless, <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's it's clearly... Restless tense. There, there are covers, but uh, restless <laughs> bivouac becomes a 2-2 red and white ox creature until end of turn. It's still a land. It's still not a bivouac um, and has the <laughs> triggered ability of whenever Restless Bivouac attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. And Restless Bivouac is a creature that can receive a plus one, plus one counter. However, it is not a temporary camp without tents or cover. Um, <laughs> You're really hung up on this. I, you know, I, I wasn't that upset when I started, but then when I... Looked at the actual art and saw. I got. I got a little frustrated because that's just flavor <laughs> I, fail. I'm, I'm going to go the dad joke route and uh, give some credit to the artist who very clearly understood the assignment because the restless bivouac is actually restless and has wandered off. And these are regular ah. regular tents. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to help here. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, are are we done with the the uh, purse the person? No, lands? I have I have another have two minutes of prepared rants about bivouacs. <laughs> Let, now let's talk about restless cottage. This is neither a cot nor an a. I I don't. 
<laughs> Anything. Go on. Uh, there is one more on there that you might want to touch on. Yeah? I did it. Oh, okay. The attack triggers. These attack triggers are separate from the ability that makes them creatures, because you can tell that because it starts a new paragraph. Um, so if they're turned into creatures somehow else, you know, something else makes them able to attack, you're still going to get that trigger. Sounds great. But um, bump. Sweet. Okay. All right. Was that enough mechanics for you all? That's enough uh, it, it, temporary it camps <laughs> without tents or covers. It is enough mechanics. And, and I'm kind of excited because I, I think roles are going to be different. And, and I did like adventures the last time. Adventures are nothing but card value. And, and as a filthy limited player, I love getting me some good card value. So I'm, I'm excited by them. Yeah, they're great. All right. All right. Uh, so that means we get to start doing the card-specific notes. And if I'm uh, keeping track correctly, it's my turn. So I get to start us off. The, uh, get after it. Yeah, yeah. The The first card we have tonight is, or today, or whenever your drive to work happens to be, is the Apprentice's Folly. It's an enchantment saga for two, a blue, and a red. Ooh, sagas are back too, kids. Uh, for the first two chapters, the, the Activation 1 and Activation 2 has the same text. It is choose target non-token creature you control that doesn't have the same name as a token you control. Create a token that's a copy of it, except it isn't legendary, is a reflection in addition to its other types, and has haste. The third activation is sacrifice all reflections you control. It sounds, it sounds sad. Anyway, um, for the first two chapters... The token copies what was on the original creature. It also has haste. It's no longer legendary. It's been amended to have the type reflection. It doesn't copy statuses. It doesn't copy counters, auras, any non-copy effects that have changed its attributes. Basically, it's a, it's, it's a standard copy effect. Keep in mind what, it, what copy effects do and don't do. Uh, if a creature being copied was copying something else, then the token will be whatever was being copied with stated exceptions. Um, I do have a question about this. Will will it still be a reflection if you ended up copying a land? Yeah. Or what about if the land is animated? Yeah. So if I if I it says choose target non-token creature. So I have my restless bivouac, which is an ox, <laughs> and you make a copy of it. Okay. It, it, it's it's not copying the uh the animation effect so i'm getting a land right is it a reflection yes that's interesting i think it is it, uh, it should is be not why not oh no because reflection is a creature type and it's, it's a, not a creature it's a creature subtype oh, and it's not a creature yeah oh that's tricksy mm -hmm. okay so this is even a little differenter because the hey, you are a reflection in addition to your other types is part of the token creation effect, okay? But, so it's not a type-changing layer enter a continuous effect. This is part of the token creation. And there's a rule that says objects can't have a subtype that don't correspond to the object's type. So that part of the token creation effect just doesn't happen. So it's not even a, a layers question in that regard, Whereas if it was a effect, if it wasn't creating a token, it was just layering effect on top of it, like that effect would possibly still be alive and still be dormant. But in this particular case, it just straight up doesn't exist. Wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. So um, 
in addition to that, uh, if the mana cost of the copy creature had X in its cost, X is zero, uh, any enter the battlefield abilities of the copy creature will trigger when the token enters the battlefield. Any as this creature enters or any of those this creature enters the battlefield with abilities also will work. Uh, if something copies the token, the copy has haste, is a reflection, and isn't legendary. Uh, unless there's something that turns it off, I believe it will continue to be that way. Is that right? Yeah. So, fascinating. Um, of course, because it'll have the reflection ability when that third chapter rolls around so long as it happens, uh, it will get it, which is cool. And that's, that's our friend, the Apprentice's Folly. Nice. Well, next up, we have Archon of the Wild Rose. For two white, white, this is a creature Archon, 4-4 four, four with flying, and the lovely ability, other creatures you control that are enchanted by auras you control have base power and toughness, 4-4, four, four, and have flying. So a couple of things here. Archon of the Wild Rose sets the base power and toughness of other enchanted creatures. Something that may come up is any creature enchanted by a cursed roll token, which reads... Enchanted creature has base power and toughness 1-1. One, one. So let's talk layers. In the sub-layers for defining power and toughness, you have your layer that focuses on base power and toughness. In this layer, you have the continuous effect from the cursed roll token, which has its timestamp based on when the enchantment was attached to the creature. And then let's say we cast and resolve Archon, which has a continuous effect that has a timestamp of afterwards, meaning your cursed creature is cursed to be a 4-4. Four, four. Now, if you create a roll token after Archon has been on the battlefield, then the timestamp for the cursed roll will apply last, cursing your creature to be a 1-1 one, one among an army of 4-4 four, four enchanted creatures. How sad. All right, next up is Ashiox Reaper. For three and a black, it is a 3-3 three, three nightmare. It says whenever an enchantment you control is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. All right, this is really just a note that... Did you say something? Oh, I just said nice. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, it is going in my Goshintai deck, probably. Uh, this is just a reminder that enchantment tokens, you know, like rolls uh, that are sacrificed, destroyed, or whatever, they uh, go to the graveyard and they exist there before state-based actions make them go poof. So if you controlled that token... uh. It's gonna, it's gonna, this ability's gonna resolve, it's gonna trigger and probably resolve. Probably. 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 Sounds great. Sounds wonderful. Um, we're gonna jump right into Blossoming Tortoise, which for two and a green green is a 3-3 three, three creature turtle. Turtle, turtle. Whenever... Turtle. <laughs> turtle. Whenever Blossoming Tortoise <laughs> enters the battlefield or attacks... Mill three cards, then return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Activated abilities of lands you control cost one less to activate. Land creatures you control get plus one, plus one. It is the most turtlest of turtles. Uh, with this, we know that activated abilities have a colon and are written as cost, colon, effect. Some keyword abilities have colons in the reminder text. Triggers start with when, whenever, at, and are unaffected by Flower Turtle. Uh, blossoming, <laughs> yeah, I know. We, it, it's a nickname. We got we to gotta start somewhere, right? Uh, blossoming Tortoise. Flower Turtle Go. Flower Turtle Go. Blossoming Tortoise's second ability will only work on lands on the battlefield, specifically 
this means that effects like cycle won't have a cost adjustment uh, if it's done from your hand. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Yeah. I'm trying to make a joke about these the... names are not very conducive to that. They're no, not very no, conducive. Well, I was, no, I was no, trying to make a joke about here. like trying to something about like Morla or the Swamp of Sadness or Artax or something. Yeah. yeah. We're going deep with never ending story references there. <laughs> Ooh, I got one. I got one. All right. All right. So that turtle seems to like lands. And you know who else like lands? The Boundary Lands Ranger, who is a 2 2 human ranger for one Terrible. and a red. Terrible. Uh, oh, oh, it's only going to get worse from here, Revoking co-host privileges. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you brought me on. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. So it is time for our mandatory intervening if trigger talk. So this card is going to check to see if you control a creature with power four or greater at the beginning of combat. And if you don't, it's just not going to trigger at all. doesn't happen. But if you do, the trigger will go on the stack. But from there, when the trigger does go to resolve, it will check again. And if the condition is not still true at that point, because let's say somebody removed your creature, then the ability won't do anything as it tries to resolve. All right. Next up is Break the Spell. Dun dun dun. For one and a white... It's an instant that says destroy target enchantment. If a permanent you controlled or a token was destroyed this way, draw a card. So if if you're going to destroy an enchantment and if it's your in, your enchantment or token, now that's that's kind of interesting. It says if a permanent you controlled or a token, so it's it's a permanent you controlled or anybody's token, right? It's not okay, cool. Okay, that's that's the confusion. So uh, so if a permanent you controlled is destroyed this way, cool, you're going to draw a card. Or a token that anybody controls is destroyed this way, you draw a card. Now, if the enchantment uh, was made indestructible before the spell finished resolving, then the if a permanent blah 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 was destroyed this way, draw a card. It wasn't destroyed that way because it's got indestructible. Okay. Now, if a permanent or token uh, destroyed by break the spell is... Uh, is put into another zone, you are still going to draw the card. The spell doesn't check where the destroyed enchantment goes, just that it left. Okay, and so this is a, a weird thing, because sometimes we'd ask, it was like, oh, well, it didn't die. Okay, we use the term die a whole lot. Uh, because destroy, if you look at the definition in the CR, destroy means to move a permanent from the battlefield to its owner's graveyard. Well, I, di I didn't destroy it because if it got, you know, if, if something says like instead of going to the graveyard, go into exile, then it wasn't destroyed because it didn't end up in the graveyard, right? Because if you look at dies, and dies means put into the graveyard from the battlefield, that's kind of the same thing as destroy, right? What's going on? Why do they have the same definition? Okay, the difference is, is, is when you think about like, you know, you've heard the saying, it's some, it's the journey, not the destination. Okay, destroy cares about the journey, and dies cares about the destination. Okay, so destroy is the thing that makes the makes it leave the battlefield, and it's probably going to the graveyard, but if it gets routed somewhere else, well then, it was still destroyed. 
Dies, however, is actually looking at that graveyard and and is looking to see if something got there. Okay. That's a really great analogy. The journey or the destination. Right. This strikes like, me as a square rectangle thing, but not quite, but it's similar. Yeah. D- uh, if if you think about it, like, you know, it's sort of like jumping, like destroying is the the leaping up part and the dies is the landing part. You know, <laughs> I can try and jump, but if someone catches me before I start to come down again, I still jumped. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. So I just made that spell way more complicated than it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's I, important. I, I get it, and and I don't want to be callous or anything, but we do need. No, to move on. you don't. No, no. So um, we are going to move on, and we are going to do another card. And the first card, the the card that I'm going to do next is an adventure. And actually, before I actually tell you what the card is, which is normally my my usual thing, I want to read you the card. I want to talk first, I guess, about um, the process of doing that. When we talk about an adventure, what do we read first? Do we read the permanent part? Do we read the adventures part? What part gets read first and why does it matter and it doesn't matter? In this case, I'm going to kind of make this this thing where I'm probably going to read the permanent part first and then I'll read the adventure. Uh, at least in this case, it makes sense because the only rulings I'm going to talk about are the adventure side. So you'll have that last in your memory before we start to talking about it um preview i think for a joke no no there's no there's no joke here it's just it's just you know (laughs) working through the process and i think what's going to happen is is i think when we talk about adventure cards on the most part we're going to talk um we're going to describe the card i think in most cases we're going to talk about the adventure first and if not we should probably look at our notes as we're going and maybe do that but anyway here we go uh callous sellsword uh is a creature human soldier for one and a black it's a two two and the text for Callus Sellsword is Callus Sellsword enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each creature that died under your control this turn. It also has the adventure burned together for one red. It's a sorcery. And the adventure states target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to any other target, then sacrifice it. Now, um, it's like 15 words or so, and it's amazingly complex in how targeting works. Um, it's it's very finite. So I'm going to read verbatim in this case what the original release notes say because I think it's important not to try and uh, mince words with it. They say, if the first target of Burn Together isn't a legal target as the spell resolves, but the last target is still legal, Burn Together will resolve, but no damage will be dealt and nothing will be sacrificed. So if the first target is illegal, there's no information to be gained about the power level. So essentially zero damage is dealt. Since it can't be targeted for whatever reason, it can't be sacrificed, right? Um, but then it also says, if the last target is illegal and the first target is still ele- is still legal, burn together will resolve and you'll sacrifice the first target, right? Right. It's, it's going to lead to rules questions. Um, bookmark this card because it's an uncommon you'll you'll be asked this at least once around i think um until people get used to how it it actually um works it mechanically for them okay all right cool sweet well i'm going to tell you about the chancellor of tales this is uh for three and a blue a creature fairy advisor two three with flying and it says whenever you cast an adventure spell you may copy it, and you may choose new targets for the copy. 
So when the trigger talks about an adventure spell, it means an instant or sorcery spell with the adventure subtype as it appears on the stack. If you cast the permanent side of the spell, this trigger won't see it because adventure is a subtype of instant and sorceries, not enchantments or creatures. If an effect copies an adventure spell, the copy is exiled as it resolves. The copy won't exist due to state-based actions. Once again, they go poof, which means the copy can't be cast as the permanent from exile. The trigger can copy any adventure spell. They don't have to have any targets for the trigger to happen, even though it does say you may choose new targets for the copy. The copy is created on the stack, which means for abilities and effects that look for it, that the copy wasn't cast. Sometimes they'll instruct you to create a copy and then cast it. This one just says copy it, meaning it all happens on the stack. And from there, the copied spell will have the same targets by default, but in this instance, because it says so, you are allowed to choose new ones. You can also change the number of targets. You can't change a target to an illegal one, though. That's all we got there. All right. So the next card I'm going to talk about is Cheeky House Mouse. <laughs> and really, I just wanted to point out that there's a card called Cheeky House Mouse in this set. That's it. <laughs> so the card that I'm actually going to talk about is Curse of the Werefox. Werefox? Werefox. Yep. Got him. All right. <laughs> For two and a green, it is a sorcery that says, create a monster roll token attached to target creature you control. When you do, that creature fights up to one target creature you don't control. All right. So even that that's all one block of text, the... There's two instances of the word target in there, but the second one is a reflexive trigger. Yes. So the first part, create a monster roll token attached target creature you control. Boop. That's going to be the thing that happens. That monster roll token is, uh, is going to go on there. It's going to get that plus one, plus one and trample because that's what monster roll tokens do. And then when you do create a monster roll token then the reflexive trigger is going to go up on the stack to uh fight one other target creature okay if for some reason you can't attach a monster roll token to the target creature when you uh you control when curse of where fox resolves you don't get the reflexive trigger because you didn't do the the when you do when you do that's, that's what we, do you do you, the do so they you don't didn't do the when, when you do. when they didn't <laughs> oh, what didn't did he do? Okay. Um if the creature <laughs> this is a 25-year-old South Park reference. Um if the creature you want to attach the monster roll token to already has a roll, that roll is going to be put into the owner's graveyard uh as a state-based action after the monster roll is attached but before the reflexive trigger resolves. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. How many rolls can you have on a creature? That's a very. I, I don't know. Do you, if if one. you have more than one, do you need a basket for your rolls? Maybe. Get a little butter. Ooh, good rolls. Good rolls. Okay. So the next uh, card we have tonight for you is Decadent Dragon. Yeah, this is another adventure. So we're going to start with the creature side, which is Decadent Dragon two red red. It is a four four creature dragon with flying and trample. The real keyword there is flample um 
and then it has whenever decadent dragon attacks create a treasure token it also has the adventure expensive taste for two and a black it's an instant adventure exile the top two cards of a target opponent's library face down you may look at and play those cards for as long as they remain exiled a few notes here uh, only the controller of expensive taste gets to look at the cards exiled. So if you're the one that casts it, your opponent cannot look at the cards that were exiled. Uh, the owner is the uh, is the only one who gets to see them. So sorry for your opponent. Too bad. Move on. Um, lands may be played if they're exiled, but you can't play multiple lands a turn unless you have some ability that lets you do that, right? And then timing rules apply. So, for example, sorceries and permanents without flash may only be played during your main phase. Don't forget to follow those timing rules, kids. And next up we have Sneaky Boy. We have our Elusive Otter here. For a single blue mana, it's a 1-1 creature otter with prowess. And creatures with power less than Elusive Otter's power can't block it. Really sneaky. But then we also have the adventure Grove's Bounty. For X and green, it is a sorcery adventure that says distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. So in this instance, Grove's Bounty targets. So you do have to choose how to distribute counters as the spell is cast. The target, any target may not receive zero counters. You have to give at least one plus one plus one counter to each of your stated targets. Now, if some targets of Grove Bounty are legal at the time it resolves, then those counters just don't happen. The spell will resolve so long as at least one target is still legal, and it will try to do as much as it can. And then the comparison, now this is for the Otter side, the comparison of power level for the blocking restriction is only checked at the moment when blockers are assigned. Once Elusive Otter is legally blocked, no changes to its power will change the fact that somebody got in the way of this otter. All right. That's a charming otter, I think. It, it, I love that it, art. Really a little a little regal, isn't he? Just kind of just sitting there mm. on, on the on the pad or you wherever know, he is. Yeah. It would be kind of I I want oh, almost I charming. just thought of a wonderful clue galter. Get a little Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas otter on this thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know I know you were like you were like charmed. Charmed. Hey Brian, segue into charmed. No, no, like, no, 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 we, we, yeah, no. We, I want to. No, I want to talk. No bad segue we, that can't be completely ignored. Right. I love it. I want to talk about a Jim Henson, a, a weird Jim Henson Muppet uh, puppet movie from <laughs> if, the early eighties. If, if you want to deviate into Kluge alters, you have you know full support of me and i'm sure marcus anytime you want to oh yeah so the, so the, flat flat the, out the brilliant. number of times i've like told a story and then while going over it listening and editing and i'm like this is not worth it just cut it out it, it makes me sad but i'm leaving <laughs> i'm leaving Emmett otter's jug band christmas in all right nice. so the next card that we're going to talk about is eret eretti of the charmed Ariet? apple Ariet? i don't know of the charmed apple all right uh, for one, white and a black, we have a 2-4 legendary creature human warlock that says each creature that's enchanted by an aura you control can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of auras you control. Alright, so generally, there is not a question 
regarding who owns your auras. They started in my deck. I cast it. However, if you remember this whole thing about like creating tokens, if an effect creates tokens, uh, uh, you know, like who who all is the owner, who's the controller of tokens? Uh, am, if I'm creating like a monster a monster roll token and I'm putting it on my or cursed uh, roll token, is my opponent the controller of it because it's on their creature? Nope, you are creating that um, a cursed to a cursed roll enchantment aura token. Okay. So that's Say that three times fast. I can't. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> um, the second ability, though, where it talks about the beginning of the end step, uh, that is going to check for X as the ability resolves. So if the trigger can go on the stack and you can somehow drop a whole bunch of auras onto the battlefield, uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, you do you. Until you want to expel the interlopers, and then you know they're expelled. <laughs> I don't so know. something. Don't. So, so the next card is Expel the Interlopers. It is for three white, white, a sorcery. It has the following text. Choose a number between zero and ten. Destroy all creatures with power greater than or equal to the chosen number. Um, look, this has a, this has a release note with it. And, and the more I thought about it, I kind of skipped past it. I, and then I went back to it. I was like, we, we need to talk about this for a second because the phrasing is a little... Uh, non-conformist. Generally, when we talk about choosing a number between X and Y, uh, we tell people to choose a number between 1 and 5, or 1 and 10, or whatever it is. Um, and 1 is the baseline. In this case, the baseline here is 0. So what's important to note is, is just as when you can choose 1, when you choose between 1 and 5, or 1 and 10. In this case, be because you're choosing between 0 and 10, you can choose 0. That can be a choice. So you can choose zero, and then you would destroy all creatures with power zero, or power greater than or equal to the chosen number. So all creatures, basically, unless it's probably a wall, you're going to destroy all creatures, which is kind of cool. Um, Fortran, Fortran developers know you started zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. I mean, computer, computer programmers, this is a natural thing. Oh, yeah. But for people yeah. who, you know, just walk around and, you know, walk and talk and use the, the, the Queen's English or whatever version of... Uh, the language you use um zero is a weird starting point for that particular phrase which is why we highlight it that's extraordinary it is extraordinary extraordinary indeed also extraordinary is this extraordinary journey for x x blue and blue so double x cost and blue blue for an enchantment when extraordinary journey enters the battlefield exile up to x target creatures for each of those cards its owner may play it for as long as it remains exiled. Whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one or more of them entered from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So, a couple things here. Players must pay all of the costs and follow the normal timing restrictions for any spell that was cast with the first ability. And the second ability applies to all creatures, not just those exiled with the first ability. Does only happen once a turn, so quit trying to break the game, but you will get a nice little bonus if your opponent is playing with some adventures. Way to go, you. Alright, uh, we've got Fawn's Bane Troll. That's next. It is two green and a black for a 4-4 creature troll. It says, when Fawn's Bane Troll enters the battlefield, create a monster roll token attached to it. 
So it's really a 5-5 with Trample. What? Yeah, talk about power creep there. A 5-5 five, five, five with Trample for 4 mana. Wow. Okay, it also has an ability. For 1, sacrifice an aura attached to Fawn's Bane Troll. I wonder what it's going to be. Um, Fawn's ba Bane <laughs> Troll fights target creature you don't control. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Activate only as a sorcery. The saddest of words. Okay. So the activated ability um, is... Uh, let's see here. When that activated ability resolves, it's Fawn's Bane Troll is going to fight. Okay. And it's going to deal... Um, it's it's going to deal its it's going to fight that other creature right okay that other creature might not die as a result of the fight it might die because you lightning bolted afterwards okay it's gonna die because it's got that sentence if this creature would die this turn exile it instead it doesn't really care how it dies it doesn't have to die from this ability so this this could just wound it all right um, and if the activated ability resolves why Fawnsbane is not a creature or no longer on the battlefield, the, uh, the creature is still exiled this turn if it dies. So if the fight doesn't actually happen for whatever reason, okay, because, or doesn't happen because Fawnsbane troll is no longer on the battlefield, then the, and then the creature that it would have fought dies some other way, it instead is going to be exiled. So, so, hey, Brian. Okay. Yeah. So, hey, so, hey, Brian, quick question. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, okay. I've got my Fawnsbane Troll, which has its, mm -hmm. you know, nice and shiny plus one, plus one roll token on it, right? Uh-huh. And you're going to ask and, me how much it does? And and I'm going to go in, I'm going to I'm gonna do that activated ability thing, and I'm going to fight my opponent's 4-4. Four, four. What happens yeah. to my troll? <clears throat> what happens to your troll? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... Yeah. So because right because I only have the one token, right? So I'm, I'm gonna uh, the one aura, right? Yeah. Okay. So the sacrificing the aura attached to Fawn's Bay Troll is part of the cost of activating it. So the second that aura gets sacrificed, the troll goes down from being a five five to a four four. Oh, I'm sad then. Well, I mean, I win the fight, but I lose my troll. Yeah. So you definitely want to take into account what the power and toughness is going to be after you sacrifice the aura. I'm sure there are going to be sad players at pre-release. Hey, mean, judges, they're, they're... hey, judges, if you're called to that table, uh, work through it so that everybody understands what's going on and, you know, maybe back things up just a little. Yeah. It's okay. You're allowed to do that. At, you're allowed to do that at regular. Don't forget that. You know, it's, it's this, not super This is going to be one of the things where if you walk over to a table and someone's holding a, a Fonzbane troll and is pointing to a 5-5, five five, like, realistically, yeah. you know you know what the question's going to be and you know what your answer is going to be also. Yeah. 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 Uh, Just remember, keep it fun. Exactly. Cool. Cool. All right. So, um... Depending on the rail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't ride that horse out of town. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know that I have another <laughs> card to talk about, which is Fell Horseman. Uh, for three and a black, it is, it's another adventure. It's a 3-3 three, three creature zombie knight. And it, the zombie knight has the text, when Fell Horseman dies, put it on the bottom of its owner's library. That's not terribly exciting. Let's, let's see what the adventure is. The adventure is Deathly Ride for one and a black. It's a sorcery adventure. And it says, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. 
That's kind of cool. Okay, so anyway, uh, Fell Horseman will only get put on the bottom of its owner's library if it's still in the graveyard. So if it leaves the graveyard before the ability resolves, then it will stay at its new location. So if it, instead of going to the graveyard, it goes to exile or something. Um, in that case, it won't go to the bottom of its owner's library. Also, if, for instance, it goes to another zone, that could then gets put back into the graveyard before the ability resolves. It will stay in the graveyard. Why? Because it's a new object, and it doesn't know what it is anymore. It's different. It's special. Okay? Okay. Okay. Next up, we have Frantic Firebolt. This definitely looks frantic indeed. For two and a red, it is an instant that reads, Frantic Firebolt deals X damage to target creature, where X is two plus the number of cards in your graveyard that are instant cards, sorcery cards, and or have an adventure. So let's talk about spells and how they resolve. So when Frantic Firebolt is busy resolving and we need to calculate X, it's important to note that this copy of Frantic Firebolt hasn't made it to the graveyard yet, so it doesn't count itself. It's calculating that X as it's resolving while it still lives on the stack. And then the last part of resolving is it goes to the graveyard, but that's after X has been calculated and after the damage has been dealt. Now here you've met, uh, added a note here. Oh yeah, so what happens if you're copying Frantic Firebolt while it's on the stack? So Frantic Firebolt's on the stack, right? And then you do something because copy is a thing in this set. Um, it's a thing in most sets. And you copy Frantic Firebolt so the copy is on top of the original spell in the stack, right? And then you go and you try and calculate what exit for the copy. Well, the original spell hasn't resolved, so it's not in the graveyard yet either. So it's important to realize that um, how the stack works and how spells and copies of spells resolve before we go and start doing math. That's all. Just want to make sure I'm pointing that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Keeping an eye on where everything is, like that's why I really like whenever I'm casting spells, especially like this where it refers to other things. I like just putting the spell and casting right there on, in like the center of the battlefield, not with my lands, not with my creatures, just kind of out there because I can see it's definitely not in the graveyard yet. And only when it's done do I put it in my graveyard as well. Sometimes some people need a little guidance with that. Because maybe it's their first time playing a game of magic. Maybe it's their first duel. You never know. Yeah. All right. So Gadwick's first duel is a saga for one and a blue and appears, according to the art, looks like Gadwick fights a chicken. Yeah, that's my take on it. Uh, <laughs> it I went really, really look like look, a chicken. Look, like a at, really big chicken. In my free time, which I have none, I will go in into Scryfall Tagger, which if nobody's used it before, you should do that. But Tagger is yeah. this thing where we uh, write art descriptions or, or keywords from the art so that if people want to search for that card that has a chicken on it, you can maybe find it. Um, Gatwick's first duel does not have chicken as a reference. It does have bird as a reference. So I mean, I, I think there's, I think that's a chicken though, and I think we're gonna have chicken. to, I think we're gonna have to go to Scryfall and talk to them about that. Anyway, yeah. go on. All right, so so uh, Gadwick the chicken battler. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll call him, call him Colonel Colonel Sanders. First duel um, has is for one in a blue. It's a saga with three chapter abilities. Chapter one. Create a cursed roll token attached to up to one target creature. All right. Now, since it says up to one, so if there isn't a target creature, you, A, don't have to target something, okay? 
but if you don't target something, you don't get a roll token, which should make sense, right? Should. Should. Okay. Chapter dos. Chapter two. Scry two. All right. Easy peasy. Chapter three. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell with a mana value of three or less this turn, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. All right. So we already talked about copy effects with Chancellor Tales. All that applies. Um, but we're going to add the whole if the spell being copied has a X in its mana value, then the copied spell has the same same as the original spell. Um, you don't don't cannot... sound so don't sound so happy there, Brian. I mean, yeah, this is, yep. this is copy you, effects. We're supposed to be happy to talk about. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so <laughs> get this, guys. You can't choose. Hold on now. Hold on now. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't get ahead. You can't choose to pay any additional cost for a copied spell. All right. However, effects based on additional costs that were paid when the original spell those are copied as though the same costs were paid for this for this as well. Right? Amazing. Copy. Yeah. All right. Copy. Right. And then if the spell being copied was dividing the damage between multiple targets, uh, that division is going to be the same thing. Like, it can't be changed. So if you're going to, if if the spell that you're copying is doing like one damage to one target and two to another, and you had the ability to mix it up when the, the original spell was cast, it's locked in. One damage to one target, two to another. All right? All right. Nailed it. Yeah. You, you certainly had There's the, that only the, a couple a, episodes a fl- of Judge A Cat flaming movie. heart was yeah. just bursting forth and just i could sense it all i'm trying folks i really am anyway uh, <laughs> heart flame and they appreciate i know it. i know i know well somebody does for you i i'm thankful um heart flame duelist is a creature human knight that is a for one and a white that is a three one and the the human knight part of the card says instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink which is a fascinating ability and then it has the adventure, Heart Flame Slash for two and a red. It's an instant. Heart Flame Slash deals three damage to any target. So um, the, the lifelink thing is really kind of fascinating. Uh, if an instant or sorcery spell you cast with lifelink also deals damage to you, the events of losing life and gaining life happen at the same time. So if you're two life and you have a spell you control that does three damage to you, your life total will never change from two because it goes up three and it goes down three at the same time. Uh, if a different spell does damage to you and your opponents at the same time, let's say that you cast a spell that does two damage to you and two damage to your opponents, you will still gain life from the damage to them. Uh, your your damage to yourself is a is a null. It's it's just a wash. But the damage you get life link from the damage being done to your opponent. If the sorcery or instant spell does two damage to all players, you're in a multiplayer game, the event will result in zero change for you. But if you have two opponents losing two life, you gain four life. Makes sense? Sounds good, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. If, if an instant or sorcery instructs damage to be dealt by something else, the lifelink only applies to the instant or sorcery, not to the other spell or permanent. So you will gain life in those cases. Okay. Just watch the language of the spell. You know, when you start talking about how you're going to be dealing damage to yourself just to gain some life, that feels like your game is pretty hopeless at that point. It's almost as if it's a nightmare. <laughs> and here we are at Hopeless Nightmare. So, Hopeless Nightmare 
It is an enchantment for a single black mana, and it reads, When Hopeless Nightmare enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. When Hopeless Nightmare is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, scry two, and then it has the lovely activated ability of two and a black, sacrifice Hopeless Nightmare. And here, just one thing to say about it, the first ability will cause opponents to lose life, even if they have no cards in hand and are totally hell-bent, it is just an instruction that says, discard a card if you got them, and lose two life. Sounds good. All right. All right. The next up is this flavor fail abomination. We'll talk about it in just a second. I, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating it. No, no, no. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. I'm supposed to be excited for this. This. All right, guys. It, next up is no, no, no. There's, horned. There's, there's no copying here. You don't have to be excited. Horned lock whale. No, no, no. We're doing this. Okay. I'm gonna be super enthusiastic for all the rest of this. Horned lock whale, guys. All right. It's four blue blue for a six six creature whale with flash and ward two. And says horned lock whale enters the battlefield tapped unless it's your turn. All right. Yeah. Okay. Nailed it. Yeah, it's also got an adventure, which is an instant called Lagoon Breach. For one and a blue, the owner of target attacking creature you don't control puts it on the top or bottom of their library. All right, so first off, let's talk about Lock Whale, where it says, enters the battlefield tapped unless it's your turn. Okay, that means if you flash it in, it's going to come in tapped. All right. Uh, yay. Okay, but it's got Ward 2, so cool. All right, but now let's talk about the other the other thing. The owner of target attacking creature you don't control puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So who gets to pick? Uh. And the answer is the, the creature's owner gets to choose whether it goes on the top or bottom of the library. Okay, and it's, uh, there you go. It's, it's, the, it's the owner because they're the one that's, you know, putting it on their uh, their library. Okay. Also, uh, there are meld cards. These these things exist. Uh, also, uh, mutate and all these other fun things. So if you've got a... If you lagoon breach a melded... And I just realized I've lost all the enthusiasm. But if you, if you <laughs> lagoon breach... It was a valiant effort. Yeah, well it's, I, I, I tried. Um, so... If you try and Lagoon Breach a melded pair or a mutated stack, then all of those cards are going to go either all on the top or all on the bottom. The controller can put them in whatever order they want, and they don't have to reveal that order, but they all go to the same place. Okay, I don't get to say, oh, I'm going to take my meld pair and stick one on the top and one on the bottom. Nope, both on top, both on bottom. You get to choose the order. All right. Now, here's the thing that upsets me. Okay. Please, please use Scryfall to look up, and this is going to be a callback to old-time fans, look up the card Colossal Whale from M14. Oh, here we go. All right. Please look up this card. Yeah. And I would like you to look at the size of that whale. Are we on the Colossal and Whale thing again? We. Yes. We yes. I the, didn't the... want to earn us an explicit tag, or I would have. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, that colossal whale for, is a for five, seven five. for seven mana total. For seven mana, it is a five five. That is, it is two to three miles long. Okay, and it is a five five. And this little horned lock whale that's you know fighting. A, okay, like a griffin. 
okay, it's big. It's it might even be like huge in D and D standards, but it it ain't more powerful than a colossal whale. Like this is this is upsetting. And maybe you could argue that the extra power is because it's got that big old horn in front of it. But I would argue that our colossal whale, like its teeth are larger than the horned whale's horn. God, I cannot wait to hear how this is all going to scale up when we go to that one set that they announced that has a bunch of teeny tiny things, tiny woodland creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is all going to get thrown out of whack. It's all relative. I, it's that's 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 all. That's all. I got nothing. Cool. Cool. Well, I have a crown. If, and I'm going to wear it. If my heart was a cannon, <laughs> would you <laughs> shot it at the beast? Oh, okay. Moby Dick references. Wonderful. Um, Hilda of the Icy Crown is a human warlock for two, a white, and a blue. It's a 3-4. Whenever you tap an untapped creature an opponent controls, you may pay one. When you do, choose one. And there are three options. The options are... Create a 4-4 white-blue elemental creature token. Put a plus-one, plus-one counter on each creature you control. Or scry two, then draw a card. So the interesting thing here is that Hilda's ability will only trigger when an effect instructs you to tap a creature. This may seem really pedantic, but it doesn't trigger in cases where the spell instructs the opponent to tap a creature. Uh, what kind of a spell would do something like that? Well, we have a, a an old standard called Hanglewire, which is in many Commander players' decks. And it reads, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player taps an untapped artifact, creature, or land they control for each fade counter or on Tanglewire. So essentially, uh, Tanglewire uh, directs the opponent to choose which one they're tapping, and they're, they're the ones doing the tapping as opposed to uh, some other effect where you as the controller of the spell is engaging and choosing which one is being tapped. That's it. Uh, aside here, because I'm seeing the last part of the Iron Crag note that you wrote here, is that you want to just pile in after I go through the Iron Crag, or do you want to take that one too, Charles? Uh, no, I don't want to take that one too, because there's one that I'm lined up for to take, which I added in, which nobody knows is there yet. Oh, lovely. Cool. All right. So, and next up we have the Aggro Crag. No, the Iron Crag. I'm just hopeful that it was the Aggro Crag. So for two mana, this is a legendary artifact, which says tap to add a colorless mana. And whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have the Iron Crag become a legendary equipment artifact named Everflame Hero's Legacy. If you do, it gains equip three and equipped creature gets plus three plus three and loses all other abilities. So in here, we want to highlight punctuation matters. Very specifically, we're talking about that little line, quote, and loses all other abilities. If the Iron Crag is made into Everflame Hero's Legacy, it will lose its mana ability. And if it has any other abilities on it, everything except the plus three plus three is gone. Like, now, it doesn't affect any of the abilities of the creature that it is attached to. Like the like the ability to become a legendary equipment named Everflame Hero's Legacy. Like, it, it loses that ability, too. Yes, it does. <laughs> For reasons unknown. So the second this card dropped, yeah. uh, the, the social medias uh, all became inflamed with talk about how this card works. And it has to do with how it's all phrased at the end of it. Um, could it have been phrased a little differently? Maybe. Um but it already has one, two, three, four, five, six, a lot of text on it. Um, yeah. It, 
could it have been phrased a little differently possibly but there's templating rules that r&d uses and and i'm just not going to lose any more sleep about it uh about worrying about it but i know that there was a lot of discussion about it judges you'll probably be asked about it at least once at an event um yeah it's not a big deal probably yep no but earn earn an iron crag earn is it is it iron crag or is it iron crag or is it iron iron crag i don't know i'm sorry i'm showing my age here but i'm gonna call it the aggro crag forever gotcha all right. Yeah, I mean, maybe less confusing would have been if you sacrificed it and you made a token equipment that did, you know, that probably would have been oh, yeah. uh, uh, cleaner. Because there's all these things that let you sacrifice tokens. But anywho's, uh You're just an apprentice magic designer, so, you know, you still got to work your way out to get on the payroll. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still a two-mana artifact. It's a legendary artifact. I wonder if they just couldn't figure out... It's literally I mean, a mana rock. Maybe it legit... They made it legendary because they don't want you to have a bunch of mana rocks. Two mana, two mana mana rocks. Because, you know... Two mana mana rock is very good in standard. Right. Formats other than Commander do exist. So it's kind of good to see Wizards actually remembering that. Um, <laughs> shade. All right. Let's go to Yo <laughs> Johan Apprentice Sorcerer. For two blue and a red, it is a 2-5 legendary creature human wizard. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, asterisk. Once each turn, you may <laughs> cast an instant or sorcery spell from the top of your library. All right. So you can look at the you can look at the library whenever you want, except uh oh sorry, you can look at the top of the library whenever you want. If you don't have uh even if you don't have priority, it doesn't use the stack. There is no in response. I look at the top card of my library. Just look at the top card of your library. All right. Um, now the restrictions. So if the top card of your library changes while you are casting the spell or playing the a land or activating an ability, you can't look at the top card until you finish casting your spell, playing your land, or activating the ability. This means that if you cast a spell uh, from the top of your library... You can't look at the next one until you're done paying for that spell. So you can't start casting it. Look at what the next card's going to be before you choose your targets, right? Or or look to see what, what's coming up so that you know how to tap your mana. Like, none of that. All right. Um, if the top card of your library has an adventure, you can cast an adventure spell this way. Um, and then if uh, Johan becomes a new object like it's flickered or something like that uh the casting permission on the old johan is 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 gone or potentially used up and the new johan uh johan you know queen is dead long live the queen uh so your new copy of johan or your new your new johan even though it's still the old johan because of a flicker effect is going to allow you to cast a spell even if you had already cast one earlier in the turn with the pre-flickered version of Johan. Clear as mud. So you got a Johan, you can cast Clear a spell using the ability. You flicker Johan. Oh, hey, look at this. It's Johan letting new you do friend. something. Yeah, it's a new friend. You he, This one lets you also do something once a turn. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> new Johan who dis. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take this next one because I think uh, Charles has a very specific one that he wants to read. So... Let's talk about Lich Knight's Conquest. 
For four and a black, this is a sorcery that says, sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens. Return that many creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Pretty sweet. Now, when we talk about this, sacrificing happens as of the resolution of the spell. Now, you don't have to announce what you're going to sacrifice before it resolves. And, according to tournament policy, even if you do, you're not held to that choice when the spell actually resolves. You can also choose zero as your any number to sacrifice. So, only when you're actually doing the sacrificing do you make the choice. If any abilities were to trigger from sacrificing these permanents, like any dies triggers, leaves the battlefield triggers, sacrifice triggers, etc., they will wait to be put onto the stack until after you finish resolving the spell and return your creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. You can also choose an artifact creature or enchantment creature that was sacrificed to this effect to return to the battlefield because as you're going down the spell at the time you go to return the creatures, you've already sacrificed those artifact or enchantment creatures and they're in the graveyard ready for you to choose them, so get that value. All that entry to the battlefield, trigger, mess, get it all. This this is probably the card out of the set that I like the most. Really? I do too. It's a, it's an interesting card. Like, uh, I want to do something busted with it in Commander. I think that's where that's most about people, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the whole extent of that card. <laughs> yes. And I love it. Gentle listener, there is a crime that has been committed in our release notes. And I want you to know that because as I talk about this, I'm going to have to mention the crime that has happened in our release notes. Um, I want to talk about a card that uh, is this this jovial, wonderful thing. And then somebody goes and throws this other card in here that I have to mention as a result of talking about the award card. And I'm going to go back and forth on this. So let's just I mean, jump I into it. I didn't make you. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's no, I, I know who I know who did it. I know who did it. Okay, I know you know. I'm just letting the <laughs> listeners know. I did the thing. So the card I added last minute is Picnic Ruiner, which is a goblin, which is for one and a red, a 2-2 goblin rogue. It has the text, whenever Picnic Ruiner attacks while you control a creature with power four or greater, Picnic Ruiner gains double strike until end of turn. It also has the adventure Stolen Goodies for three and a green, Sorcery, uh, it is a distribute three plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. You know, it, it's like it's like Boo Boo, you know, and, and Yogi. They're going to steal that that picnic <laughs> basket. But but here's the crime that was committed. Somebody wrote the true picnic ruiner and dropped in the card fire ants. Well, okay, yeah, all right, I I get it, I get it. So that aside, <laughs> that crime aside. Uh, a couple of notes about Picnic Ruiner that are worth pointing out um, and, and Stolen Goodies. Uh, with Stolen Goodies, we've already talked about counters and how they work when they're distributed with the spell. Um, but what's important to note is that you can cast Stolen Goodies with no targets. If you do, you don't actually give out any counters. Uh, you will exile it as it resolves, and you'll still be able to cast Picnic Ruiner uh, from exile. Makes sense, right? Now, what's important about Picnic Ruiner is when it attacks and you control that creature with power four or greater, you're going to get double strike until end of turn, even if uh, something happens to the creature with power four or greater after the trigger goes on the stack. Um, it's not checking for anything. There's no if clause in there. Uh, double strike happens. 
So Picnic Ruiner turns into a wonderful double striking 2-2. We love goblins that do that. Okay. Fire ants. Yeah. Fire ants attacked. <laughs> hey, right. hey boo-boo, let's go take some picnic baskets. Uh, well, that was... I don't know, Yogi. I think the ranger wants to talk about the next card. <laughs> uh, uh, next card. Yogi Bear right, secret lair right, coming to you right, this winter. Right in the childhood. Right in the childhood. Right. All right. Here we go. The princess takes flight. Oh, all right. I, I need to talk about... This is something I heard on the radio many, many years ago with this art. So this art is showing a princess riding a winged unicorn. Okay. So, so a, peg, to, a pegacorn. Uh, yes. And if it was, if it was also a centaur, it'd be a unipegatar. But so I'm listening <laughs> to the radio. It's two dudes on morning, morning radio. And one of them's talking about a, a pegasus. And one of them's like, okay, well, that's, that's the one with the horn, right? And they're like, no, 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 that's unicorn. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's the one with wings? Okay, that's a pegasus. And then the, the other one says, well, what's the one with horns and a wing? And he says, oh, that's just made up. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, okay, yes. So Prince, Princess Takes Flight, two and white for a enchantment saga. Chapter one, exile up to one target creature. Chapter 2, target creature you control gets plus 2, plus 2, and gains flying until end of turn. Chapter 3, return to the exile card to the battlefield under its owner's control. All right, so here's, here's the only real note. The first chapter ability can sometimes exile more than one creature, normally because it was, like, copied or it exiled a melded creature or something along those lines. In that particular case, the third chapter ability is going to return all the exiled cards to the battlefield under their owner's control. So, yep. Nice. There you go. And, and from there we move on to a missed opportunity. Rankles, prankle, or really rankles, prank, boring. Ranks, prank. Anyways, it's a sorcery for two black, black. And it says, choose one or more. Each player discards two cards. Each player loses four life and each player sacrifices two creatures. So in this instance, you can choose any mode, even if it will end up being asymmetrical. So if you only have one creature and your opponent has two, still fine, you'll do as much as you can. Now I wanna talk overall about when multiple players are instructed to perform actions, especially when there's a specific order in which things have to happen. So let's say for example, the three of us are in a commander game and the turn order is Brian, Charles, and then myself. Brian casts Rankles Prankle and goes full ham and maxes out the spell, choosing all three modes. We will go down the list of instructions in turn order. So in this instance, Brian will choose two cards to, from his hand to discard, then Charles, then me. But when we choose them, we're going to be like, okay, I choose these two and kind of grab two cards from your hand and set them aside. But you don't reveal them until we've all made our choice of which cards we're going to discard. Then we would all discard those cards simultaneously. Moving on next, we then will all lose four life again simultaneously. I would like to we choose. Then get to the, I would like to choose which four life I lose before the rest of you do. I mean, sure, by all means, I, it's a commander game, I, so anything. Goes. I want to get rid of the bottom four. I, I don't care what right. you're doing, Brian. Not right. Those are the 
Those are the worst life. So, of course, I want to get rid of them first. <laughs> there you go. And then after that, we're going to, again, in turn order, choose two creatures to sacrifice. Now, similar to the discarded cards, Brian will say, well, I choose these two, pointing at his bear cub and his runeclaw bear, because clearly those are the only cards in his deck. Then True. Charles will choose his two creatures, but he will know exactly the creatures that were chosen by Brian. And then I'm going to make my choice, knowing all the choices that were made before me by both Brian and Charles. Then all of the creatures will be sacrificed at the same time. Now, this does trip some people up. So here we see all the choices that are being made. But because there's a, a little bit of a difference between the discarding cards and the sacrificing creatures, because with discarding cards, you don't get to see the hidden information until all the cards go to a public zone which is after you've all chosen what to discard, which is why you kind of set them aside and hold on to them, and then everybody discards simultaneously. Whereas with creatures, they're all in a public zone, so you do get to see what choices were made as you go down the turn order. That's all. Fascinating. Fascinating. So I get to do Rowan and Will, uh, and we're going to do these two cards together because I think there's some interesting things happening with them. Uh, Rowan, Zion of War, for one, a black and red is a 4-2 legendary creature human wizard with menace and, a ta and an activated ability tap spells you cast this turn that are black and or red cost X less to cast, where X is the amount of life you lost this turn, activate only as a sorcery. And then Will, Scion of Peace, uh, is for one, a white and a blue, is a 2-4 legendary creature human wizard that has Vigilance, and the activated ability tap spells you cast this turn that are white and or blue cost X less to cast, where X is the amount of life you gained this turn, activate only as a sorcery. Um, wow. Just on the service level, these cards are neat. I'm going to let Marcus talk, talk about that in a, in a moment, but what I want to highlight are some rules things here. Uh, the value of X is determined when the activated ability resolves. So if you lose or gain more life later in the turn, it won't change how much of a cost reduction you get for your spell. The activated ability doesn't change the mana cost or mana value of any spell, just gives you a discount when you calculate the cost of your spells when you're actually casting them. Activated ability doesn't reduce the amount of colored mana you pay. Re remember, so if, if uh, it costs X less and you choose X and you end up being X is 5, and the spell that you're casting is uh, a four and a blue, you can only reduce it by four. You can't reduce it uh, the entire cost of the spell because you still have to pay the blue. For each of these creatures, the activated ability counts how much life you've lost or gained in total through the turn. So for Rowan, when she cares about losing life, it doesn't care if you gained any back later on. It just counts the sum total. If you gained five and lost three, you'll get a reduction of three. For Will, if you gained 5 and lost 3 because he cares about life gain during the turn, you'll get a reduction of 5. And then uh, I'm going to give the floor to Marcus for a second because I'm seeing all this and it's easy to see up close, but I, I know he wants to talk about it. Yeah, uh, just complete aside from the rulesy stuff, I love how these two are mirrored, uh, especially in our notes. We get to see them right next to each other, but the 4-2 power and toughness versus the 2-4... The white and blue, like same mana cost, same everything mirrored on them. It's just, ah, it's it's beautiful. I love this kind of story element. Uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of like Urza and Mishra and how they uh, set them 
against each other in their brother's war and just ah love it absolutely love every little bit of, of this design they hit it out of the park but now back to the rulesy stuff all right sorry i didn't catch that i was asleep <laughs> wow <laughs> yep all right uh, i mean i expect that to happen yeah. when i go off on my uh uh Forthos talk uh, so four four two two four uh urza mishra you know <laughs> i got i got like at least three stun counters on me um all right sleep cursed fairy is for one a single blue mana it is a fairy wizard that is a three three fl- flyer with ward two seems good oh but and it's still going to seem good after I read all this. Uh, Sleep Cursed Fairy enters the battlefield with three stun counters on it. All right. And then it has the ability, one in a blue, to untap Sleep Cursed Fairy. So it enters the battlefield tapped with three stun counters on it. And if you remember, stun counters are if if it, Sleep Cursed Fairy, would become untapped, remove a stun counter from it instead. All right. So this is going to be one of those things those things that, that people might not realize, like they might forget or they might not realize that like untapping it for turn, nope, you're removing a stun counter instead. Spending one in a blue to untap Sleep Cursed Fairy, nope, you're removing a stun counter instead. Basically, you just gotta plow through them stun counters until until they all gone and then they can untap. Yeah, so seems really likely to happen at a pre-release. Somebody's gonna yeah. look at that and go, oh, I can untap it and again, help them out, yeah. you know how it goes. Yeah, but that's uh, that's it. So, so I'm going to be the um, unruly co-host and steal a card, okay? Uh, because I think it's going Ooh. to make sense in a moment. Uh, unruly catapult two and a red is a zero four artifact construct or artifact creature construct. It has defender, which is neat. Uh, it has an activated ability tap. Unruly artifact deals one damage to each opponent. You know, that's that's a pretty standard thing on a, on a red wall of some kind. And then it also has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, untap unruly catapult, which is kind of cool. So a uh, couple of notes in a game of two headed giant. Remember, there's only one you, two opponents and four players. Uh, in this instance, you deal two damage to the opposing team because each of your to- opponents will be dealt one damage. Neat. The untapped ability doesn't require the spell you cast to resolve. The triggered ability resolves before the spell that causes it to trigger does. So if uh, you cast a spell, um, the trigger goes on the stack for whenever you cast an or sorcery spell, untap it. And then somebody says, hey, I'm going to go and counter your spell. Um, they'll, uh, they'll cast their counter. Um, when that resolves, the... The spell that you cast through the trigger on the stack disappears, but that trigger's still there, so you get to still untap Unruly Catapult. Kind of neat. And with that, I know that I know that somebody wants to go off on a rant about books or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> go so, Charles, you're a librarian. I just started working at a library, but I'm sorry. This is a straight-up novel of rules text, if you look at the release notes. Uh, the card we're going to talk about is virtue of knowledge and when it comes to that there's just a whole lot of stuff to talk about so let's get through it as best we can and try to sum this up so first let's read the card virtue of knowledge four and a blue for an enchantment with an adventure the enchantment reads 
If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Ooh. Uh, so innocuous. <laughs> so innocuous, the rules text. Nothing to see here. <laughs> and then our adventure is Vantress Visions. For one and a blue, it's an instant with the subtype adventure that reads copy, target, activated, or triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Okay, let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Let's talk about Virtue of Knowledge. The ability of Virtue of Knowledge affects any enter the battlefield triggered abilities, as well as any triggered abilities that care when that permanent enters the battlefield. So let's say if I play a land that says, when this enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on a creature, and I control another creature that has a landfall ability, I'll trigger the plus one plus one counter ability of playing that land an additional time, and I will trigger the landfall ability an additional time as well. Now, while triggered abilities are always signified by starting with when, whenever, or at, for this, the rule of thumb is that it will apply to abilities that happen when or whenever. Specifically, at usually is going to tell you that at this point in the turn, something is going to happen. And usually something that cares about a permanent entering the battlefield will care about when or whenever. Some keyword abilities also include a triggered ability. So for example, recently in March of the Machines, we had the backup mechanic. And backup reads, when this creature enters the battlefield, put N plus one plus one counters on another creature, etc., etc. But most importantly, that backup ability will be triggered again by virtue of knowledge because when this creature enters the battlefield. Now note, this is not copying the abilities. This is actually causing them to trigger again. So anything that has a trigger restriction, like we're seeing this sentence of this triggers only once per turn, those don't really care about this ability. You're also gonna handle each trigger separately. So you'll choose different modes if you want to, uh, and you can choose targets independently on each of these triggers as you place it on the stack. Just, Again, just, to, copying. just to be clear on that, where you're talking about uh, causing them to build. So if an ability says this triggers only once per turn, it will not trigger a second time with this card in a, on the battlefield. Correct. Okay, I just want when you said it it, do, it doesn't really care. I was like, ah, that could kind of go either way. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So, well, when their restrictions are there to say this will only happen once per turn, that means any number of times this would trigger during the turn, it's not going to happen, or you're not going to put it onto the stack if it's already gone on once. So from there, let's talk about really crazy stuff. Like somebody in a commander game is going to have two of these out. And so if you control two Virtue of Knowledge, a permanent entering the battlefield will cause the abilities to trigger three times, not four. Because you're not doubling the number of enter the battlefield triggers, you're just adding an additional trigger. So if you have two Virtues of Knowledge, that will result in three triggers. Three Virtues will cause four triggers. Four Virtues will cause five triggers. And really anything more than that, your opponent usually just concedes because you're up to shenanigans. But let's talk about what this does not affect. This does not affect replacement effects, like this creature enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it, or any abilities that apply, quote, as this enters the battlefield, like from a shock land. Those are totally unaffected by this. They are not triggers. 
This doesn't affect any activated abilities either, which we've already covered. Those have the cost, a colon, and an effect. Phew. That's one part of this card. <laughs> Holy cow. Are we done yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Almost. Okay. Almost there. Thankfully, Ventress Visions only has a couple of things to mention. Uh, this spell, of course, does copy, even though the other side does not. So, because this spell does copy, specifically it's going to copy your activated or triggered ability. Because it copies, you don't get to change anything other than the targets for the copy, because, well, that's what the spell says you can do. Otherwise, it's the same. Same distribution, additional costs, which have been paid already. We've covered all of this. Finally, if an ability that you copy is linked to a second ability, then any copies of that ability are also linked to that second ability. If the second ability refers to the exiled card, it refers to all cards exiled by the ability and any copies. So to use a classic modern staple, the Tide Hollow Sculler example, when Tide Hollow Sculler leaves the battlefield, it will return all of the cards exiled with its first ability if you copied it with Ventress Visions. And I'm done. Oof. Oof, indeed. The release notes, I think, are even a little longer than that, but... Uh, think we covered yeah. the really important i gotta like the release notes you gotta like scroll even like having them up max on the screen you 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 gotta scroll yeah i know this set is very heavily featuring books including in the set symbol and all that mm -hmm. i know charles is giddy about it but um, i'm very giddy about yeah, it. yeah that was <laughs> all right yeah i didn't like that book so yeah that's it's quite a uh, you know what? I'm not going to do I, I had a pun, and I'm not doing it. Virtue of Strength! Oh, come on. Nope. Don't nope. bail that. Like, nope. You don't get it. You can't, you can't you tease like that. I'm what? so sad now. You, you exhausted me with that one. <laughs> like, like for, Don't okay. you have the strength to go on, No. <laughs> I don't. Five green green for an enchantment called Virtue of Strength, which, if you made it through the explanation of that last card, you've got this. So... Yeah. Um, it's an enchantment. If you tap a basic land for mana, it produces three times as much of that mana instead. Holy snikes. Three mana. <laughs> All right. It also has a, a, an adventure called Garen Brig Growth. Garen Brig Growth. For a sorcery, <laughs> return target creature or land card from your graveyard to your hand. They want to speak to the man. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> tapping, tapping a land for mana or tapping a basic land for mana is you're using the mana ability of a basic land that includes the tap symbol in its cost. Okay. I, you know, um, so if you have a basic land with just the mana symbol on it, that, that counts. Um, or one of those fancy full art basics that just has all the art that, that counts. It's basically the, all, basic land like forest has the intrinsic ability of tap for a green okay so it might not actually have the symbol on it um if you're tapping a basic land for mana or you're tapping a basic land for mana uh only if you're activating a mana ability of a basic land that includes the tap symbol in the in the cost okay uh the mana uh, mana ability produces mana as part of its effect okay um any ability that will trigger Whenever you tap a basic, uh, what is this? Any ability that will trigger whenever you tap a basic land for mana will not be tripled up. Yeah, like uh, what are those enchantments in modern? 
that like, oh, whenever you tap this land for mana, add an additional green. I'm blanking. Oh, add an additional mana. Okay. So this right here, this this virtue of strength is not a um is not a, a, a mana ability itself. Okay. It's it's a replacement effect. If you tap it's if you tap a basic land for mana, it produces three times that much instead. It's not whenever you tap a basic land for mana, add two additional mana to your mana pool. Okay. Um, that is a triggered mana ability. This is not a triggered mana ability. This is a replacement effect. Okay. Um, also, the tripling effect is cumulative. So if you have two virtue of strengths out, you're going to get nine mana. Okay. And, you know, if you have three or more, whatever, y'all have science. Everybody's got calculators on your phone. Y'all are smart people. You figure it out. Uh, all right, friends and family, that is our episode. Join us next time when we talk about the IPG. In case you haven't heard, we've been promised an update to the Infraction Procedure Guide due on or about September the 4th. And I also just heard that we also get updates to the MTR at the same time. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, until then, Judge Christmas. Judge Christmas. It is. It is. And New Year's and Easter and everything else all rolled into one. It's it's going to be an amazing celebration. So until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. And now appearing not for one night only, but forever and ever on Blue Sky at judgecast.bluesky. So until then. I am Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Marco Sanchez, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prilliman, and I keep it enthusiastic.